Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and hello to all of you joining us at all of our campuses, the South Campus, West Campus, Internet Campus, Fort Worth Campus. Uh, we're so glad that you're here and chose to join with us for worship today. This is a place where we come to not only worship the Lord, but allow ourselves to be transformed and changed first and foremost. But I'm going to not ask you an introspective question first. I'm going to ask you a question to judge someone else. How many of you know a terrible storyteller. Just, you have one of those friends that the stories that they tell you, you're like, they're just full of inconsequential details. There's no punchline. There's no, there's no point. It's always just this one way road to nowhere. And you know, you have this friend. If you're like, I'm not sure if I have that friend. If they always ask you, do you know what I mean? And you're like, I checked out about 10 minutes ago and you don't know how to answer that question. You have that friend, that is the friend I'm talking about. If you still can't identify that friend, then you are that friend. You're the one that is the st terrible storyteller. The, the, the one who tells those stories. And it's really hard on a relationship. It's really hard on a friendship when you can't track with the person that's telling you the story because you want to be there for them. You want to support them. You want to, to understand what they're saying and to follow them. And so you learn to ask them kind of halfway through, you know, what's the point? Where, where are you headed? Where are you going with this? Because you want to stay connected. You know, what I've realized is uh, maybe you've grown up singing the song or you've heard this song before, what a friend we have in Jesus. But so often we have a disconnect in our friendship with him because we don't understand the point of his stories. Some of you, when you read scripture or you read the stories that Jesus tells, you go, these are just inconsequential details. Like, I don't understand where he is going with this story. And in fact, sometimes you don't want to read about his stories. You don't want to read the things that he says because you just think it's a one-way road to a guilt trip. And you say, I just don't really want to go there. And there's a reason why you feel disconnected or distant from that friend you have in Jesus. You want to know the point. And the thing is, with Jesus, if you miss the point of his stories, it could have life and death implications. It's not just going to make it distant relationship here, one that doesn't give life, one that doesn't lead to some great places and some deep and intimate relationship with him. But you could be so far off the beaten track if you miss his point. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. You will need a copy of the scriptures open because I'm going to show you a lot of things that aren't going to come up on the screens. And you will also need a copy of the sermon notes. Please pull those out because today we're going to begin a new series that we're calling To The Point. And the reason why we're calling it to the point is because we're going to study some very key stories that Jesus tells. Now, I know some of you are already going, Cody, these aren't just stories. It's a historical account. Absolutely, Scripture is a historical account. It's an errant. This is the Word of God inspired by Him. 
100%. But what we are going to study are literally stories that Jesus told. And these are key stories that if you miss the point, you will go off into left field. You don't need to miss the point of these stories in Matthew chapter 13. And the reason why I call them stories is because that's what they really are. The word used for them, though, is called parables, parables. And the word parable is actually used 12 times in Matthew chapter 13. Only five times the rest of the gospel, but 12 times here. It's because the stories, these parables, are key teaching tools that Jesus uses to teach about a relationship with him. I've given you a definition on your sermon notes as to exactly what a parable is. A parable is a story. It's a heavenly truth explained by and applied to everyday life. A parable is a heavenly truth that's explained by, but also applied to in everyday life. And so in Matthew chapter 13, these parables that we're gonna study are stories that are used of everyday life. It's stories about fishing. It's stories about farming. It's stories about gardening in a sense. All of these stories though, these are everyday stories applied to everyday life that Jesus is going to ask us to apply. And so over the course of this, this five-week series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at these stories that so often people go, I don't understand the point. And we're gonna get to the point and allow you to apply that point to your life because the things that Jesus teaches in these parables are life-changing. So the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus is going to use these parables to explain what life would be like until his kingdom is inaugurated. Now, I, I know it's a rainy morning this morning, but I'm going to really need you to turn on your brains and kick it into high gear right now and engage your hearts in this. Because what I'm about to teach in this first point is paramount to understanding the rest of the chapter. This is going to set up the entire series. Because chapter 13 is a turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew was written to the Israelites, to God's chosen people, to show that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who has come from the line of David. He is royalty, coming to rule and reign over his people, to establish his kingdom. And every kingdom has a king, it has rules, it has citizens, and it has a territory. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's saying, I am the one you've been waiting for. The kingdom is here. That's why Matthew even starts off with the lineage of Jesus. It goes all the way back, tracing it, because this is the royal one, the royal king coming to establish his kingdom. But the problem is the Israelites don't want him. They want all the blessings that come from sitting under his kingship, under his rule, under his authority, but they don't want his kingdom his way. They want it their way. And so chapter 13 is a turning point because Jesus proves he is this Messiah. Even if you look back at chapter 12 of all the things that's going on in chapter 12, I mean, you, you start off, he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He came to set people free from all of these regulations and rules and the pride that comes from following them. And he says, humble yourself, accept grace. You need grace. 
And he comes to set them free from that. He comes and he heals the person with a withered hand, saying, I can even heal diseases. He then, uh, he sets free the, this person that's oppressed and they think he's, they thought their real oppressor was the Roman government. But actually it's Satan is the real oppressor. And he comes and he heals this person who's demon possessed. He does all these great things. These are all signs of his kingdom. And the Israelites, his chosen people that he came to, they say, nah, no thanks. And they attribute his power, not to God, but to the devil. And he goes, you know what? I'm just gonna hit pause right now with the nation of Israel. I'm gonna hit pause establishing my kingdom with you right here and right now. And he starts to shift and he starts to turn. And that's why I said he explains what life would be like until his kingdom is inaugurated. This doesn't mean that he's done with Israel. He still has a plan for Israel that tracks all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And he will establish his kingdom for his people that is coming in the millennial kingdom when Jesus will rule and reign on this earth a thousand years before he recreates everything anew. See, I told you, you need to have your brain turned on right now. This is a lot to soak in, I know. But you've got to understand the context of chapter 13. You see, Jesus offered his kingship to Israel, but he's rejected by this nation. He says, I'll be your king. And that, that comes with a bunch of blessings. Just like as we sit under our nation right now, there are wonderful blessings that come. We, we experience freedom of religion. We have great prosperity, wonderful things that happen. But obviously our nation is not perfect. But Jesus says, I can establish the perfect nation. Many blessings, peace, prosperity, freedom. All these things can come if you'll sit under my rule. And the Israelites say no. And so Jesus then says, okay, I'll begin a new kingdom agenda which offers citizenship to those outside of the nation of Israel. He says, okay, if you guys don't want me as king right now, I'm gonna hit pause with you, I'll come back to you later, but I'm gonna go offer all these blessings to people outside of the nation of Israel. These are the Gentiles. Anyone who's outside the nation of Israel is called a Gentile. And he begins to go to them to share this good news of the kingdom. That's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 13. So look at Matthew chapter 13, verses one to three. It says, that same day, the same day, he's done these wonderful, wonderful things. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And a great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. Okay? So remember, he is rejected by the nation. And actually, it's even foretold here in chapter 13 because it says he left the house. Now, the house, a house is always used as a metaphor in the Old Testament for Israel. And so he leaves the house and he goes by the sea. The sea is usually used metaphorically for Gentile nations. And so he leaves the house, goes to the sea, and he goes to the sea, and there's such a great crowd around him who wants to hear the good news about his kingdom that he says, man, I gotta get in a boat and push me out. 
And that's for two reasons. First, it's for projection so he can talk to more people, but it's also for protection. The Israelite leaders were against him. They were looking, if you look, even in chapter 12, they were looking for ways to kill him. And so he's pushed out for protection so he can share this good news about his kingdom. And he sits down as a ruler or a teacher would. And then he begins to tell these parables, these everyday stories. But he uses these parables in interesting ways. See, Jesus used the parables to conceal the truths of his kingdom to those who rejected him and to offer it to those who would receive it. This is setting up the whole series He's telling, because the, the, the question that you have is, Cody, if he's going to tell them about the kingdom, why doesn't he just say it plainly? Great question. It's because he wants to reveal truth to those who are ready to receive it. But he also wants to conceal truth from those who don't want to receive it because we know this from scripture. You and I will be held accountable for what we know. I mean, James even says that. If I know the good I ought to do and do not do it, I sin. It's sin. You will be held accountable for what you know. And so what he wants to do as an act of grace is conceal even more truth being given to those that have rejected him so that they will not be held even more accountable for their rejection of him as king. But at the same time, by using the parable, And hiding that meaning in a sense, he can reveal truth to others who are ready to receive it. An act of grace, all in the same story, all in the same parable. That's how Jesus uses the parables, and that's why he uses the parables. And so he uses these parables to teach that his kingdom agenda is going to be equally presented, but not equally received. I'm gonna present it to everybody now. Nation of Israel, you didn't want it. I'm gonna hit pause. I'm gonna go share it with everyone, but everyone's not gonna wanna receive it. Everyone's gonna receive it a little bit differently. And man, don't we know that that's true today? That's true today. Some of you and and, and myself, we, we know the God of grace. We know the mercy and forgiveness and freedom that is only found in him. And we go, how does no one want this? How could anyone reject this? How could anyone turn away from this? And yet people do all the time. And hey, I did until I was 16 years old. I didn't want anything to do with it. I wanted it my way. And Jesus tells them that he's gonna equally distribute the message and good news of the kingdom to anyone who's ready to receive it, but it's not gonna be equally received. This is where we pick up on our first parable. So now you kind of understand what's going on in Matthew chapter 13. You understand how parables are used. Now look at Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse three. This is the first heavenly truth that is explained by and will be applied to everyday life beginning in verse three, and he told them many things in parables saying, here's the first one, a sower went out to sow. That's a farmer who has seed. And as he sowed, throwing out some seeds, broadcasting, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them and other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. 
But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now you're thinking, who are the people there who don't have ears? No, everybody has ears there, okay? He's saying, are you open to hearing this? If you have ears, please hear this. This is the good news of the kingdom. Now I've put a legend on your sermon notes so that you understand what these things mean. How Jesus is going to use these symbols that are in everyday life and apply them to their lives. The sower is Jesus, that's the farmer. The seed is the word of God. This message, this good news about the kingdom. The soil are people's hearts. Where that falls, where the good news falls, and the receptivity depends upon the soil. The bird that you're gonna see is Satan. The sun, trials, and persecution. The thorns are the cares of this world. And Jesus goes on to explain exactly what he means. And so we're gonna pick it up in verse 18. So look at verse 18 with me. It says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So see, he's telling you exactly. This is what it means. Verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. May God bless the reading of his word. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, the reason why Jesus starts off this message that he is gonna broadcast this good news about the kingdom, why does he use the parable of the sower? Because he wants you to understand that this message, this good news is available to everyone. He's gonna throw it everywhere. It's gonna fall on different kinds of soil though and be received differently. So what I wanna show you here is this is, Jesus' coming kingdom is evident when he is received and obeyed as king. How do, how do we know if someone's a part of the kingdom? They're bearing fruit as a part of the kingdom. The, the, you know what the fruit is. We talk about this in, in Galatians chapter five. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why can we exhibit those things? Not only because the spirit that indwells us, but also because we live under the rule and authority of Jesus Christ. We show ourselves, prove ourselves as citizens of a different kingdom that's not of this world. It's a kingdom that is to come. We make it evident, we make it obvious when we bear that fruit. 
And so what I want to do is I want to go and show you how all of this depends on the way we receive him. If we are proving that we are part of the kingdom. Now, I know that some of you will go, so are the people on shallow soil, are they believers or not? And listen, the point is not to prove if people are believers or not. The point is, if you're a part of the kingdom, you bear fruit. That's the point. The point isn't to determine, well, I'm halfway a believer. I guess I'm kind of okay. No, no, no. The point is to make it obvious that we follow Jesus as king. So I want to go through these four different soils and relate those to the heart so you can see these. So the first one is this. A hard heart does not want to receive God's word or Jesus as king. That's the hard heart. He says, man, I'm going to, and and when you think about it, how gracious is it that the sower would throw seed even on hard ground? Would you do that? No. You'd go, I paid good money for the seed. It was expensive. And I'm not going to put it someplace where it's very unlikely that it's not going to grow. But Jesus, so gracious, so kind, cast the seed, broadcasts it in hopes that maybe it would receive it. And he says part of it is on hard soil. He said that's the part on on the the path, the trodden path. You know, a trodden path gets beaten down as people step on it. So it's very very hard. There aren't many cracks in in that for the seeds to to fall into. The, The soil isn't tilled or turned over. It reminds me of the passage that Jesus says in a different passage where he says, wide or broad is the way that leads to destruction and many people walk down that path. That's the the path that's hard soil, the hard ground. Many people are on there and many people don't want the rule and reign of Jesus in their lives. They don't want to submit to his authority. They don't want him to be their king. And again, I've been there. I've been there. I know know what that's like to harden your heart. And he says, when you harden your heart, when the word goes out, Satan comes up and snatches it away. That word that that is used here for snatch is actually a word that is used of people who rob dead corpses. They go and they plunder the dead corpse for anything valuable that might be on it. What a perfect place picture because we without Jesus are dead in our sins and transgressions where we are the walking dead and that valuable thing that God tries to put into our hearts is snatched away it's plundered that value is is gone because we are, will not receive it and we have hard hearts he says that's the that's the hard soil we have an enemy a very real enemy that wants to take away what's valuable that can bear fruit in our lives. Then he talks about the shallow heart. The shallow heart wants the easiest way that will not be criticized by the world. The shallow heart's the one that goes on the rocky ground, the seed falls on the rocky ground, who hears the word of God. They immediately accept it, but then they wither away. Now, let me tell you why I said here, once the easiest way that will not be criticized by the world is because the particular words that are used here of trials and persecution or tribulation and persecution is specifically about human words that are used. It's specifically about man-given persecution. 
It's somebody saying something bad about you. Somebody's giving you a hard time. Somebody's putting you on the outs. Somebody is making you feel unpopular in the out crowd. That's specifically what he's talking about here. And you'll see that again in the next soil. And you see, that's very, this is very easy for our hearts to be in here where we immediately spring up and we say, yes, I want the joy and the peace that comes from Jesus. But man, are people gonna think I'm weird Monday through Saturday? I'll shrink back. The word he uses there is wither away. And our faith withers, we shrink back. We turn into a wallflower in our faith. We're not gonna stand out and live it boldly because we don't want somebody to think that we're odd. Listen, I am odd, I get it. But I wanna be odd for Jesus. I want us to be odd for Jesus, for his sake. And he says the shallow one, man, it springs up real fast. We hear a great message, you hear a great worship song, you listen to a great podcast and you say, yeah, baby, man, I am on fire for Jesus until you go into the office and you're like, oh, not so much. You know, maybe not a fire. Maybe one of those little lighters. You know, because we shrink back. He says, that's what that's like. We receive it differently. We won't let it take root. We won't let it go deep in our hearts. And he talks about another one is a distracted heart that gets sidetracked, chasing counterfeit blessings. Chasing counterfeit blessings. This is a distracted heart. He said, this is the one that goes and actually it takes root and it starts to grow. But it says, then the thorns come in and thorns have two effects. They block the sunlight that's coming from below. Man, you can take that metaphor as far as you want. The sun, light, tracking with me? Or... The other way that happens is it starts to entangle it at its roots and choke it out from below. This is a ground war and an air war on the distracted heart. And it says that begins to choke it out. And what does he say are the thorns in our life? He says the worries and cares of this world or chasing after riches. These are the distracted hearts. And the reason why I say those are counterfeit blessings is because it seems like those things are God's blessings now. And you're like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But man, you are building up and accumulating a currency that will not translate into the kingdom. You're chasing after things. You're letting things of this world, even though you're not a citizen of this world, you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven to come, choke out your life now. Redirect you now. That's why I call those things counterfeit blessings. I don't know if you've ever been to a foreign country uh, uh, or on a mission trip or something like that and you get cash so that you can spend it on the streets or whatever and then it comes time to go home. And what are you doing with that money? You're trying to to get rid of it. You're trying to spend it. You'd give it away. You'd do everything you can because you know when you get back home, it's worthless. Folks, let's not get distracted by accumulating things here that will not translate there. They can't be spent there. That is a distracted heart. That's why I call it a counterfeit blessing. That's what he's talking about here. Those are the thorns. 
that will keep you from producing the fruit that God wants to bear in your life. It reminded me of what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you content today with what God has given you, the calling God has for you? Or are you chasing something else that will never be able to be spent or used when you really get home to heaven? He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. And then he gets to the receptive heart. A receptive heart accepts, retains, and applies God's word. You're like, finally we got to the positive example, Cody. Thank you. This is the positive one. Three different kinds of variables of fruitfulness as opposed to three other different unfruitful kinds of soil. And he says, these are the ones that let the root, that let the word take root in their heart and it bears fruit. That's why he says in verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and, yield, and it yields, in one case, a hundredfold, 60 or 30. You see, this is the, the one that says, I will accept Jesus as king. I will hide his word in my heart. You know, something I pray for our boys every day is, God, would you hide your word in their heart that they might not sin against you? Psalm 119. Psalm 119 also says, God, open my eyes so that I may see the wonderful things in your law. You see, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Ask God to open your eyes to the wonderful things here to hide the word in your heart so they might not sin against you. Sin is just not an offense to God. Sin is destructive to your life. It's not his best for your life. When you don't have his word, you're gonna follow your own way. His word is a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. Again, Psalm 119, it's a pretty great psalm. That's what bears fruit, is when we let his word affect us. So let me just get to the point. The point is, is this, you will only experience the blessings and fruit of God's king, or God's kingdom, when Jesus is your king. When you follow his rule, when you submit to his authority, when you say your way is best and I will obey that by faith, that's the only way you'll ever bear the fruit that's, that's the only way you'll experience the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control when you accept his way. And here's the interesting part because I, I know human nature, because I'll do this myself, as of this morning, I will go ahead and peg myself in one of these kind of soils. But here's the problem, is so often we find our hearts at different levels of this soil. Sometimes our hearts are hard. And some of you here today and listening to wherever you are, your heart is hard. And God is gonna to have to till that soil or your heart is distracted this morning or it's shallow or maybe it's great and receptive, awesome. But your heart needs constant attention because it is fragile, but it can also be fertile soil for the Lord to do great things. Are you willing to accept his word? 
Are you willing to accept it? So let me give you three very quick things to be able to accept it and understand the blessings that come from living with Jesus as your king. First, prepare your heart to receive his word personally. One of the great things about this parable is it's not about who you are, but it's about how you respond. It doesn't matter if your grandfather was a great preacher. It doesn't matter if your mother was a Sunday school teacher. This is how will you respond. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? See, we have to prepare our own hearts to receive him personally. And even, even before you come on a Sunday morning to worship, how are you, how's your heart prepared? Probably fighting with your spouse on your way to church. I get it. You know, you're upset, you're impatient with your kids. They won't put their socks on or they have their shoes on the wrong feet. I get it, man. Live that life. But you go, what am I allowing to take root in my own heart? Is that fertile soil for God's word to take root and bear fruit in my life? Prepare your heart to receive his word personally. Second, allow the word to take root in you before you apply it to anyone else. How much better would our world be if we applied the word just to ourselves first and let it completely sink in? and change and transform us first. It goes back to what Jesus says. Hey, guess what? Take out the plank in your own eye before you start trying to take out the speck in somebody else's. We, we so often get focused on someone else. You know what this is focused on? How you respond personally. And then finally, obey his word as you walk with him to bear his fruit. Obey his word as you walk with him to bear his fruit. The good thing about this is, it reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. When the the church in Corinth, which we're gonna study 1 Corinthians this summer, the church in Corinth is arguing about who they follow. And Paul says, listen, I, I, I planted Apollos water, but God causes the growth. God is the one who's going to grow those things in you. He's going to be the one who bears the fruit in your life. You don't have to worry about bearing fruit. It's not manufacturing this stuff by yourself. All you need to be concentrated on is abiding in Christ. John chapter 15. He is the vine, we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So you just continue to abide in him. You don't have to be fruitful, you just need to be faithful. Be faithful to him, to abide in him, to walk with him, and he will bear the fruit, whether it's 30, 60, or 100. He will do whatever he wants for his glory's sake. But you're a citizen of his kingdom, and his kingdom will come, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just want you to be ready to receive him as king when he comes, and that comes by receiving his as king as you are now. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness, for the depth. Lord, I thank you for the grace of even how you use parables. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be fertile, receptive, wanting to bear your fruit in our lives, not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of you. And so, Lord Jesus, be the king of our hearts. You sit on the throne of our lives. 
And Lord God, we submit to you. So change us, mold us, shape us, break us even if we need to be broken so that you could bring life out of a dead corpse. You could resurrect us to something new, something greater, something better, all for your glory. And it's in our King's name we pray, amen.